Welcome to another edition of Pixel and Row Show, where we discuss the best team on the face of the planet, your Washington Wizards. It is September 23rd, 2015. This is Adam McGinnis. We have a special, special treat for you today. I have a, a guest, so you don't have to listen to me. Me and Kyle ramble on forever about this team. He is a writer for the Washington Post who has covered this team now for a full season, about to enter his second season, Mr. Jorge Castilla. Castillo? Uh, Jorge, what yes, is it? What is up, my man? Hey, not much, man. How you doing? Doing well. Are you uh, blessed by the Pope? Uh, hashtag blessed? Grinding? Uh, no, man. I, uh, I avoided that at all costs. I'm Catholic and all, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I'd avoid the crowds. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I watched it on TV, and uh, a couple of friends of mine I had a chance to go to the Mass today. But uh, he did. I see him. The fiat, I, I don't know if they have a deal with him, but they're, they're all about, all of a sudden, all they talk about is the fiat. And the Pope Mobile is like a Jeep Wrangler. Uh, that was kind of funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, people, yeah, people are Pope crazy. But yeah, hey, we're, we're, we're going to discuss some wizards. Are, are you, you know, media day is coming up on Monday. And uh, what, what have you been doing here since this, this break? You have vacation? Um, yeah, yeah, vacation, you have some downtime, but, um, you know, basically just been kind of like August to the beginning of September. And after, you know, other than that, you know, between free agency and the draft and summer league and, you know, and then before you know what the season is, we started, you know, training camp next week. So just getting ready for that, gearing up, doing my preparation, booking travel, you know, doing all that stuff, getting ready to go. All, all the fun logistics stuff that, behind the scenes that no one really understands, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All well, the fun stuff. Yeah, well, well, it's interesting too that with with the, now the way free agency has been and and summer league focus on summer league and the draft, it's almost became eleven months of the NBA. So this this last month is almost the only time where there is a downtime. <laughs> yeah, really. It's like pretty basic. I said ten and a half months. Once, you know, definitely a lot of kind of you know settles down a little bit. Um, but, yeah, man, it's, it's around the clock. It's not quite going to sell yet, but it's getting there. Yeah, definitely. So, so before we get into, uh, you know, the great Washington Wizards, let's talk about let's talk about you, Jorge. Uh, what is, you, you know, your background, where you're from, how you got into this profession? You know, I know it was your first year. I know you've had some other, uh, done some other sports in your past, but just kind of let the listeners know and the fans know of what, you know, you're, where you, where you came from and stuff. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I'm from Massachusetts, uh, Worcester, uh, Massachusetts up there. I'm um, from Puerto Rico. I'm um, very proud of that. Um, went to Yale. Uh, did a lot of, you know, summer internships and came at the last hometown paper and wrote the Telegram and Zed and interned at Philly Inquirer the next summer in the Washington Post the summer after my junior year and the New York Times after my senior year. And I uh, was there for a bit, and then I uh, then I went to the New York Stars. I just covered the New York Giants for a year and a half. Then I went to baseball, covered the Mets for about a, uh, a season, a little more than that. Um, and then last year, um, it's been well over a year now, but um, you know, um, covered the Yankees starting in January until the end of July when I came here to the Post to cover the Wizards. So um, you know, I had done some some NBA here and there, some Knicks, some Mets, up in New York. Um, you know, dabbled in it, you know, here and there, but I'd mostly been NFL and uh, baseball. So 
I grew up loving the NBA. Um, I grew up a Celtics fan, and I was watching uh, Clinton, <laughs> watching Paul Pierce, Paul Walker, <laughs> and those guys uh, up in Massachusetts. So uh, it was kind of a thrill, to be honest, to be able to cover Paul Pierce last year. Um, you know, something I'll, I'll never forget. So it's sort of like covering Derek Jeter in his uh, final season. So it's a you know, cool, cool little thing like that, you know, that you, uh, that you do. Um, obviously, you're, you're as objective as possible. And I thought I, I was, but it's still it was cool. I had a lot of friends back home. My parents were all about, you know, you know, getting to cover Paul Pierce and, you know, up there kind of be a big deal. So, uh, yeah, the first season I thought it, it went, you know, it was kind of uh, it was a grind as always, but it kind of went um, pretty fast. It was kind of a blur at the same time. So I'm just looking forward to the second season. Hopefully things, you know, kind of slow down for me. And uh, this is a great team to cover. I, I, I got lucky. Michael Lee got stuck with the tough years. And I just swooped in. I'm getting all these, you know, playoff seasons and excitement and uh what you mean like what it's like to, to blog about a 19 win basketball team every year every day or, or, or the lockout <laughs> short seat and just try to yeah, try yeah, to yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was here for Mike man and you know it's Before we get into the Wizards, so Jeter's last year, what, what was that? What was that experience like? And, and yeah. the hoopla around it, and do you have any funny stories? I know he's a very guarded yeah, person. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was a circus, man. It was just every day. You know, obviously I was there uh, right before Thanksgiving when he uh, kind of went on Facebook and uh, announced that he was going to retire. And from then on, man, it was just um, it was just an, every city you went to on the road, and the teams all questions. Um, Crowds of reporters around him, and, and you know, the reason he dug out, uh, just asking the things all questions. And I gotta give those, uh, I gotta give a lot of credit because he would always answer, you know, the question, same question, you know, without getting, you know, annoyed and all that. He knew, so what the deal was, he knew that these people were gonna ask the same questions in every city and he put it in stride. And I thought he handled it very well, but it was always, it was crazy, man. It was, um, you know, every city that you're getting some kind of gift. It was just cool. You know, I grew up in Yankee fan up in Massachusetts, so um, same thing with the, the covering the tourists, covering tourists. Um, you know, I was just kind of the real experience in a way. Um, covering Jeter in his last season, it was a lot of fun. But it was every every city, man, I just you know, the guy was probably you know the face of baseball for so long, and um, to see it up close, and it, it was a really cool experience. So what, what was the transition like going from you know you said you had NFL background and dabbled in some basketball here and there. Then going from baseball, I know that's a, that's a huge grind to cover that. And you know, your basketball is a grind, but you know it's half the games, and there's days sometimes in between games. Going from baseball to covering the Wizards, and what was your experience uh, when you reflect covering that for a year? I know you mentioned some some things, but when you when you reflect and look back on on everything, was a whirlwind, and how how did you adjust? And then just kind of your impressions of covering this team for a year. Well, just um. It was all about preparation, man. But as soon as I knew I got the job, and as soon as I got in, I came down to DC. We just reading as much as possible about the team, kind of reading like what what, what you know metrics are being used in the NBA. You know, baseball obviously they're heavy on 
advanced metrics, and that's all the same way. So trying to get caught up, you know, what websites to use, you know, little, little things like that, you know. Um, just getting a lot of background of players, the coaches, front office, the franchise itself. You know, you know, obviously being an outsider, there are a lot of people around here very passionate about the team. They know a lot about the team, and they'll call you out when, when it looks like you're not prepared, and as they should. Angry, um, angry, angry people on Twitter? <laughs> no, just, yeah, well, you know, even if they don't call me out on Twitter, you know, <laughs> an email, or even like if they don't call me out, like I'm sure people read like this guy, you know, I don't know. If, if it comes off, if I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm unprepared. It, it, you know, it comes off that way. You can tell. So um, I made it a point to prepare, and, and I'll do that all the time, even now. You know, make sure. After all this stuff, kind of like the back of my hand. You know, it has to become my second nature. Um, so that was something I, I, I kind of forced myself. Yeah, you, you have to do when you first get the job, um, and you kind of just kind of immerse yourself in everything. And obviously, Michael Lee was great help having him. Um, you know, kind of guide me um, through the season and the players and the, you know, the coaching staff and the front office themselves they were great with me you know if I had any questions I was there ask them and you know if any you know, background lab on this play where I'm on that play I've played basketball going on in high school so I, you know, I have a background in basketball I love the NBA you know watch college ball and all that so it's obviously different when it becomes your job so um, in the first season of life it was a blur <laughs> it was a blur and it was a grind at the same time I feel like hopefully the second time around you know not everything will be new. Um, everything last year was new. Um, whether it was a new city, a new airport, or you know, a new game, you know, new arenas. Like, um, you know, everything we did in that Verizon Center was new. You know, all started eating. Everything was kind of just, you know, I was kind of just trying to figure out on the fly a lot of times. And hopefully, it's the second time around, be a little easier. And uh, you know, the team was great, man. It was. <laughs> you look back on last season, all the, it was a lot of great. There were a lot of great moments throughout the season. Um, the way the season ended was pretty crazy, you know, with John getting hurt and, you know, obviously Paul, Paul shot and all that. It was just a lot of, a lot of great moments and, uh, it, it was a fun ride. Now, now, how much of, were you aware of the history? I know you mentioned, you know, Mike, using Michael Lee as a, a resource and, you know, I've been blogging about this team for about six, seven years and, you know, I know it's a struggle. I can't imagine, like, say, I would go cover the Nuggets tomorrow, right? Like, or, or or the Clippers. And I'd be like, yeah, I know about them. But when you're on that grind day to day, what was it like? How much did you, you know, did you have to go into, you know, what happened with Gilbert? What happened with the, Antoine and, and Butler? You know, even, even you know, even maybe even Weber and, you know, Weber and John Howard, even that, that that era, and how much of the history of the team did you really have to immerse yourself in, and or was it just more focusing on John Wall and and what was going on the day to day? Well, yeah, well, initially, you know, I focused more, you know, on John and Brad and their backgrounds, and you know, Marchand and all those guys, and then they, you know, you kind of focus on them, and then you kind of like throwing, you know, eventually, you know, you kind of like start broadening in a little bit, trying to figure out, you know. Playoff history, and I kind of gradually started happening during the season. I always I would ask Mike, and Mike would give me you know firsthand knowledge of stuff that happened. Great resources, as you said. Um, but I, you know, I feel like as the season wore on, you know, when I was, I questioned like, oh, when was the last time this happened? And I look it up and stuff. Like going up in Massachusetts, um, you know, my only really the only time I really ever, ever saw the Wizards was you know in the series against the, the Cavs back in the day. Um, you know, I never really watched them. I knew John was. You know, obviously, I knew John was number one overall pick. Brad was a great pickup. Um, that was young nucleus and all that. But all you hear about was, you know, the Gilbert incident and those playoffs series um, a few years back. You know, I knew they were, they were pretty good back then. Um, you know, but I was a big NBA fan, so I knew about them. But it's not like I was focused on them, like, you know, a lot of people around here, obviously, are so long. Um, I, I just had to make sure that I, 
that I knew what was going on. Um, you know, by not like try to become an expert, um, even though there's very little chance to become an expert in such a short amount of time, but enough to you know go and do my job and do it effectively. And I think you know having an outside perspective also helps. It does. Um, yeah, you, you don't want to be embedded too much because you know you want you want to keep everything on. You know, see, see everything from the sky, you know, from up top, you know, macro level. Because uh, you can get caught up in the minutiae, you know, store ideas can, can become hard um, to think of. And um, I'm going to try to make sure I don't get caught up in minutiae this season. That's going to be a that's going to be a challenge. But um, yeah, man, it was just it was just a lot. You know, it's fun. You know, I'm covering a basketball team. It's not like it's real works, but um, you just try to do as much research as you can, just trying to make sure you have that all that background knowledge and. Uh, Make sure you know. Often the players know you know what you're doing. They know you're not. You don't know what you're doing. So to you know, for the Randy Whitman, for the Grunfelds, you want to make sure that you come in prepared and um, know what you're doing. Well, well, you mentioned uh, Mr. Randy Whitman, and that's where I want to head first. What I have my own personal experience with Randy Whitman, and you kind of learn after a while what questions to ask and not ask. But you know, for someone that you know, we're we're there for every home game, and you're pretty much there for every road games almost solo so you have to lead the questions for the most part i've seen michael lee and i would watch the post game shows especially on the road and i know there was an incident earlier in the year the the women kind of went off on you on a on a question which of course i had your back and thought it was ridiculous behavior by him and then also you kind of saw whitman blow up on michael lee at the end of the year which i really defended lee again i thought that was bizarre behavior and randy you know, after a while, you know, when someone asks him a question, I'd be like, oh, don't ask him that. He's not going to answer. Or there would be a way to phrase a question, especially before the game. How, what was it like, going back to that incident, and what was it like dealing with Randy? What's your relationship with him? And, and how did that progress throughout the season? I, to be honest, me and Randy have a good relationship. Um, behind the scenes, he's great with me. You know, he sees me, he says hi, he shakes hands. I've had, I've had a couple lunches with him. Um, you know, we meet and he's great. You know, he's, he's a funny guy. He comes across that way. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's just the way he is. He's kind of intense. Um, Bobby Knight Jr. is what I call him. Huh? <laughs> Bobby Knight. I, I say sometimes he'll snap you like Bobby Knight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He comes, you know, he comes across that way. I think that's just the way yeah, he kind of, kind of is. That's the, this is mentality, it's just philosophy, however you want to call it. Um, and it's kind of like something, yeah, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. Um, Ken, you know, but you were mentioning that you were referring to that Toronto game. Really Toronto, season. yes. That a, yeah. That might have been the third game of the season. I think fourth game was early, <laughs> early in the season. And, you know, like, you're trying to feel out, you know, people. You're, you're, I'm basically working with, you, you work with these people. So it's a workplace. You're trying to feel out, you try to feel out these different people. And they, they, they have guys flowing out and off by 20 something points. Um, he didn't really like my question. He, he made it known. And to be honest with you, after that, um, I think the next game was in Indiana. And he went up to me. He's like, hey, I, I was like, are we good? He's like, hey, man, we're fine. I never stepped in front of it. He, you know, patted me on, on, on the shoulder. And that was that. Um, so it's, you know, he, he's just intense. Um, I don't take it personally. I know it's, you know, I know it's how it is. It's fine. Um, you kind of just have to let it roll off your shoulder. And uh, as long as we keep it professional and, um, and it's not personal, then it's fine with me. What is what is it? Uh, you know, I'm a, you know, I basically have been covering the team since John Wall came on John Wall Day in 2010, and and I have press access, and then so I've seen John, you know, from the good, from from the bad, being bad, to being good, from the All Star appearances, and you know, seeing how he used to talk really, really fast, and 
and and he's almost brutally honest, but he always would take the the brunt of the criticism on himself, even when I think he could have put it on others. And I always appreciate that. And also seeing him behind the scenes, I think he cares even maybe even too much. What what is your what have you seen uh, dealing with John Wall on a day to day basis, and, and just him as a as a player, as a person, and to deal with a, a, on a, as a co working kind of situation, like you mentioned. Yeah. So my you know my opinion or whatever what my thought of John Wall was formulated was you know kind of created by the national media. So you know obviously I'm not from the DC area. I was not in the media market. Um, I wasn't reading about John Wall every day. I wasn't seeking out, you know, whatever. Um, but I remember his a certain, you know, radio talk show host, not really like him when he was dancing, <laughs> dancing machine and being on TV and all that stuff. And you hear, oh, he's kind of immature and all that stuff. You know, he's number one paid, number one and done, um, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you kind of had this, like, a pain like, in the back of your head. You, you go into this thinking, okay, he might be like this. But the, as soon as I got this job, the first thing I heard was how great of a kid he is, you know, how he'll give you the time whenever you need it, he say, hey, you got a second, he'll talk to you about anything, you know, any play, anything about the team, he'll give you the time of day, and from day one, from, you know, media day on, it, it, that's exactly how it was, man, I, I can walk to John at any point on the road, before a game, after a game, um, and I can ask him about a certain play, I can ask him about something, and he's like, you know, if you have time, he'll give it to me, um, and he was great with that, and it's something that I think a lot of people nationally probably don't know about John, and, you know, Unfortunately, you know, these opinions were created, you know, they were kind of voiced. People probably don't really, I've never probably met him, um, you know, and kind of just go over the stereotype of what a number one pick or, um, you know, an African-American basketball player that, that's a millionaire at the age of 19 and kind of run with it, um, unfortunately. So uh, from my experience with John, he's, he's been great from day one. And uh, it's great to have the star player, you know, be so, you know, accommodating to um a reporter, so um, I really uh, I'm grateful for that as well. You know, just um, on a day to day basis, that's the one player you want to talk to after every game, basically. And you're there, he, he's always he comes out a little late sometimes from, from the shower, he's always <coughs> there. We want to talk, and he, he talks for up to 10 15 minutes if you have to. And that's you know, something that you know, not every star in professional sports does. And, and I know you were up, and I was up at the all star game as well in New York, and I knew you got a chance to follow him around. To a bunch of events and all over. What did you? What was that experience like? Just kind of tell the people being around him. I know you got a chance to attend a lot of events that he was at and kind of see him from behind the scenes angle that maybe you don't on a day to day basis when you're covering the team. That was, it was cool, man. It's just, it's normal. Just, I mean, he's a year younger than me, so he's my brother's age, younger than me. Um, so just normal dude. Huh? What you know. Uh, a little more money than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more money, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, it was cool. Like, he, he, um, there was once, one time I got a chance to go up to uh, the hotel room. We had a couple of interviews set up with other um, publications, and I was allowed to sit in and, you know, kind of just, like, gather, you know, string, gather some information, background for, for the story that I was writing for an All-Star Weekend, and it was great. And then guys left and talked a little bit. It was just cool. We just, you know, he, you know, it was just, <laughs> it wasn't anything he was, didn't seem like he was like, didn't want me there it, it was all it was all good you know it was fun and that's what I'm saying like he's accommodating it's not like um, you know he doesn't want me there or like he's clams up or shuts down or whatever he's himself and it was it's, it was a cool experience you know following I followed him to different events where he's working with kids and it's, it's a genius event 
and all that, and he came in and said what's up, and if I could talk to him for a second, we talk, and, and, and that was that, and it was, uh, it was good, and it worked out really well. So, so he's accommodating, unlike a Brazilian teammate who's always not uh, accommodating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I was saying, a lot of times, you know, different people have different personalities, um, and, you know, the Nate's great with me as well in his own way. Um, no, know, he is good with me. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm good with the day as well. He's the nicest guy. He's the nicest guy. You know, sometimes he's frustrated and he doesn't want to talk, and that's just the way it is sometimes. No, no, I, I I do like Nene. He, he he's nice, but but I was frustrated with him at the end of last year a couple of times. I was waiting for it, but then he just blew me off. So so I think I still have a little salt in my mind. But he always oh he always asks talks to me. He always says hello. He's always smiling. But after the games, I think he gets very surly, and then he'll just jam out. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, he's definitely different than other players. But I, what I want to go on right now is is you mentioned baseball and how analytically based it was and how you had to go to certain websites to, to brush up on basketball. How is, and what I've really noticed about your writing is, you know, Michael Lee obviously is a really good writer and a lot of good basketball writers out there, but mainstream type of publications. I've seen more and more, you know, more of the blogs and more guys here and there. I think the analytics is, I don't know that conversation people use analytics too, but I wouldn't say that everyone does, but I've really noticed that you have really used them in your arguments uh, a lot this year. How did you go about that in implementing? Was that kind of your baseball background you think helped you out? And, and where do you go when you see, I mean, you don't go into turnover percentages or, you know, rebound percentages, not that deep, but you definitely do use, you know, plus minus and different types of metrics that, that not everyone always uses when discussing a player or backing up their arguments. Yeah, so like basically, there's two criteria when I use stats. Um, you know, first of all, like so, like you mentioned, Michael, like, um, you know, there are people who, who read the Washington Post who read my stuff online or in the paper who aren't diehard basketball fans, as opposed to maybe your blog and other blogs where you know they're diehard fans. They if you come at them with this, you know, the rebound percentage or contested, you know, jump shooting percentage, whatever the case may be, percent at the rim, understand it. right? Percent yeah, at the rim, like, for example. So, so like if, if I come back. You know, a reader. If I if I bring up some stats that you know require like two lines of explanation, then it's going to take up space. You know, in the paper, when I can use that space for, for other information and other you know, whatever else, you know, like I probably won't use it. Um, as stats become, as these metrics become more mainstream, you know, I'll probably be able to use more of the rebounding percentage and all that other stuff. But you know, so the first criteria is like kind of like you know simplifying it for like so you know a, a bigger you know crowd of people. You know, my readers the readers can understand it. I'm, I, I don't want to get too caught up in advanced stats because, you know, some people just frankly don't care for them um, or just don't understand them. I don't want them to, to read a story and not understand what I'm telling you know, what I'm writing. Um, so that's the first factor. And kind of make sure that they kind of know, even if I, and like you mentioned, I do, I do want to dabble more into that and all that. I probably do some more for blog posts and I do it for stories. You don't want to get too caught up in all that because, you know, if, uh, in, oh, and for example, a 60-year-old man you know, in Virginia, picking up the paper is not probably not going to know. Um, percentage. Yeah, you know, trying to make it like universal for people to understand. Second of all, I'm not going to use stats that you know. If I talk to someone in the front office or someone with the wizard to play or a coach, or whatever, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't," that doesn't matter to us. But if it, you know, if that's something they look at, then why not use it in my writing? That's what the team is using. That's what the team in the NBA, the NBA itself, whatever the case may be. They're looking at those stats. Those stats matter, um, even if you know they're new or kind of like. People on shirts, you know, you know, if 
these metrics are here to stay, whatever. Teams are using them, teams are using them. So you might as well use them yourself when you're ready. Um, you have to present it in a way in which, you know, I can't go off just um, rebounds per game if, if a team that doesn't really care about rebounds per game and care more about, you know, rebounding percentage or, you know, whatever the case may be. So if a team is using that information, then, you know, I have to use it um, to a certain extent while realizing that, you know, I have to make sure that, you know, and at the average of you to understand what I'm ready. So it's kind of like between the two. And as you mentioned, you know, I, I did use a lot of advanced metrics in baseball. I feel like in baseball, it's more accepted at this point. You, know, you kind of see like mainstream shows with war now and, you know, where it was like all these crazy stats coming out and runs creative, mm-hmm. runs creative plus, all this other stuff. Um, it's more mainstream now. I feel like in the NBA, I think we'll see over the course of the next couple of years, we'll see it become more mainstream and, and I'll be able to use it more in, um, you know, the typical story. Um, but I do like using it. Um, I think if it, if it says something, if it, if it kind of like if it supports an argument, uh, I'm not here to give opinions. You know, so I'm here to you know just trying to report stuff. And if it support if it supports an argument or supports uh, why a player did this or why they should have done this or what the case may be, or you know, um, I try to present it and try to support arguments with it. Um, and there's a lot. There's a lot of there are a lot of stats and shows. You know, NBA.com and to you and oh, I get I get lost in NBA.com on that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you get lost. Sometimes the website's kind of slow and that's frustrating, but you can't get lost in there, man. Like it, by the end of the season, they started adding up more stuff. By the end of the, at the end of the season, you kind of, kind of get lost and get to avoid getting lost doing your deadline. So, no, um, I th- so basically, basically, it's, uh, it, it's something that it's something that, that I'm going to continue to incorporate, hopefully more and more. Um, hopefully more my block holes will have it. Um, you know, it's more like analytics and, and stuff like that. I feel like it's important. No, I think that I, what I've seen is is, what you, is is more the blog posts. You'll do more the analytics and also trying to strike a balance because even though we do have a diehard readership, sometimes there's, you know, total, you know, total shooting percentage, right? Or using some ones that are kind of abstract where even a diehard fan is kind of lost in how like, well, okay, I get that number, but what's that mean in context? So then you have to explain the context. Well, then after you've done that, you know, you can kind of just chart out what's up. Like you're making an argument, for example, and I think you've done as well is like, you know, they shoot better at corner threes. You know, they're the number right. one team in corner threes. You know, John Wall creates more corner threes than anybody in the NBA or, you know, something like that where, yeah, maybe that's not a points per game or assists per game or, or even plus minus. You know, sometimes plus minus can be skewed, but you can be like, oh, when they're on the court, especially when you're trying to figure out on defense, you know, they're plus right. ten. You know, like then they, they are, uh, yeah. In a lot of these um, events, that aren't really they're not advanced. They just people are keeping track of things, more things. You know, yeah. so it's not it's not like a corner three corners in advance that that's just people are kind of just paying attention more to hey, this is what people are shooting it for. I don't want to keep track of it. Just more things are being kept track of. Um, that's really all it is. And so those stats, like corner three corner. Um, is a great stat to use, you know, or, you know, mid-range jumper from 60 to 19 feet. Like, that's just someone keeping track of those stats. That's, uh, Ten years ago, that wouldn't be kept track of. Um, so, but they aren't really advanced. It's not some rocket science, like some crazy formulas going into it. As opposed to, like, a value over a replacement player or whatever the case may be, that's going to be a little more, yes. you know, that's that's a little tougher. Like, I, I like last year, um, I wrote a story about John, John Wall being a better defender, and I used a lot of defensive real plus mine as a stat that he had came out with. It never requires some explanation because it's kind of trained to step, but it showed that he's the number one point guard of the NBA defensively. So, you know, that kind of supports the argument that he's a better defender. He also kind of explained what exactly defensive real plus minus is. 
when it's in like when you don't have to do that for corner three point percentage or mid range jumper percentage or you know um, to, to center's defense at the rim when he's in the game or whatever the case may be. So um, all these stats are different, um, and you have to present them however you have to. Oh, the the long two, it's, <laughs> which which Wizards fans have uh, have been you know, going nuts by myself about Mr. Bradley Beal shooting too many too many long twos, and and I remember you wrote that post, and I think I was the one that asked women that question at a press conference about you know you had the number one one of the top uh, three point percentages in the league at the time, and but yet they were shooting one of the lowest percentages, and, and I, you, I think you wrote a really good piece of breaking that down. And how do you go about those kind of you're making that argument in a way where you because know, because I still feel like I'd ask women that same question five different times and he would always give the same answer. So do you, how much does you think he embraces this analytics? And I know Kyle he has been you know so so and mushy about it. Whereas Ted Leonsis will straight up blog about it, you know, advanced stats or analytics and talk about the cameras they have and how they're you know modernized and they're doing this on the NBA, what, is, what have you seen out of analytics or trying to bring up these type of analytical questions to, to Mr. Whitman or even players? Yeah, so, I mean, you, you know, I've asked him this question before. He, he said, um, you know, he comes off with the answer. I think the last one, last year. One take the open shot. Me, take the open shot. Players to take a step back or something. And, you know, he's kind of being funny with it. One thing I do think, um, and the roster is indicative of it, is that he's evolving with the NBA. Um, he wanted a versatile, versatile roster. He wanted one last year. Um, you know, he, he wanted a stretch four. I, I, I've been told by, you know, other people in the front office, he's wanted a stretch four. He's been asking for a stretch four for a couple of years now. Um, they just didn't really have one. And now they're kind of getting to have a few. And, you know, he, he, he sees this as his most versatile roster. Um, I think I'm pretty sure next year we're going to see a different style lineups. You won't see an NA starting at power forward every game. You'll see, um, you know, a Gary Dudley start at the four against small ball teams. We've seen an A play um, start at the four against, um, you know, the big old teams, Chicago, the Memphis, and all that. So I, I think we're going to see, you know, more of the small ball, more, you know, the analytic stuff um, kind of seeped in. Um, that's what it's, the mid-range twos. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obvious. You look at the stats, they were they ranked in the bottom four with, like, Minnesota, New York, and some other <laughs> – lottery team in terms of mid-range jumpers taken and maybe that's something to discuss over the summer and you know tell the player hey step on a three-point line but something else that you have to include and it's something that that women have said and you know you have to you have to agree with them to a certain extent is you know when you have two bigs and you know john wall and then bradley beal and a three-point shooter so you have two three-point shooters on the floor i mean you know they shoot kind of three-pointers um so i think we're gonna see a, you're gonna see a a wizards team that shoots um three-pointers at the clip that they shot him in the playoffs. You're going to see a lot of folks, small ball lineups. And I think a lot of people will be happy to see it. And I think their offense will be better because of it. So, um, and I think that's something to do with the, just the fact that they're a roster makeup, um, the configuration of the roster. That they had more wings than last year, um, a lot more just talented guys that can put the ball on the floor and shoot, shoot the three. So um, I think we're going to see some, you know, an evolution. Um, some of it may have to, may, may have to do with, Obviously, the Warriors winning the title and being so successful with it, and the entire NBA kind of going with it. And some of that's to do with the fact that his roster is different. He has more tools to play with, I guess, and toys to play with, in a way. So, um, but we'll see. I mean, if it's if it's the preseason or you know if it's ten games in the season, we're seeing Ben Ring, you know, fourth most for mid-range jumpers in the NBA. 
Yeah, that that was the frustrating part was is that I did actually agree with his arguments where you know you don't have Al For- Horford, they didn't have the Hawks, they didn't play much small ball, and especially with Nene and Gortat out there, and Wall not shoot as many threes as he did the, the season before. The frustrating part was when Bradley Beal would basically be running off a double pick from twenty feet around, and you'd take a contested twenty footer that would drive me absolutely insane. But but we'll, we'll, we'll leave right. that. that, that. Which, which, which because <laughs> because because I because I do think that, that there is an argument where Whitman would say, "Hey, you know, take what the open shot there is," and and I I saw it that, that yes, yeah, sometimes you pump fake, you dribble in, and they have the open shot. I have nothing against that. It was just the contested ones, the lack of sometimes awareness. Bradley Beal would shoot a three with his foot on the line. Those are the things that drove me absolutely nuts. That I did I kept them see them happening. It seemed like the coaching staff was making adjustments, and it was hard to 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 make that argue, argument where I got the online Twitter world blowing up and then you go in a press conference and you ask him a question, he just doesn't even acknowledge that it's a problem. I don't know. And maybe he does and he just doesn't want to tell the media. That's a lot with Randy Whitman. He'll say, like, why do I want to tell you what's happening? <laughs> right. I, I, I think, you know, I think that's something. I think that's something. I think, you know, I mean, at least I've been told, you know, in a way it's around the equation, maybe not as much as some other teams and, you know, and, and, and so forth. But, um, I think that's some of it. I think he just doesn't want to share a lot of information, which is fair. I guess he doesn't have to. So, no. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. So, when you ref- what I found going back to last season is that you know you you mentioned how it was you know positive experience. What what I saw you know as a fan, as a pseudo media fan, blogger is that, you know amazing start, right? Go out to an amazing start, then hit after the all-star break, go to complete swoon, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, sweep the Raptors, and basically one John Wall injury away from going to the finals. What was that up-and-down experience like to, to, to cover the team? I mean, I know what it was like to cover it as well, but as a fan experience, just from your perspective, the up-and-down nature of it all. Well, like, you know, as a reporter, journalist, whatever you want to call um, me, um, you root for the good story, and most of the time, good stories are when teams are winning, because People want to talk to you. So the beginning was great. You know, whenever they were, they were 21 and 9, I don't know, 21 and 8, 22 and 8, whatever they were, going into that Texas trip. Um, so that was that was obviously good. And they were second in the East or whatever it was, and I don't remember But um, that was good. And then obviously um, after that, it was kind of downhill. The schedule got harder. Um, Brad got hurt. Bradley Bill got hurt. Paul Pierce missed a couple games. I think the low point was when they lost to Philly and Minnesota on the road. Oh, back God. <laughs> with uh, Bradley, Bradley Beal, and Paul Pierce, um, not playing because they were hurt. Blown out of Minnesota um, that too. Was, that was probably the low point uh, of the season, I would say. And that was it was rough. You know, a lot of guys, you know, they're they're obviously frustrated. They were a better team than they were showing. But you know, all, I think you know people forget that Bradley Beal was hurt for you know nine games or whatever it was. Um, I forget how long he was hurt. And Chris Humphries was hurt for a while. And um, you know, and they kind of figured out towards the end of the season. Obviously, when they changed. You went more small ball in the playoffs, but um, it was it's you know it's part of it. I think it was two and eleven in a stretch. I mean they weren't going to go, you know, seventy five and seven, um, whatever. So it's it's part of the deal. You know that every team has their swoon, some more than others. Um, but it, it was kind of it, it's better when they're winning. You know, it's usually the better story um, for for the writer and for you guys, I'm assuming too. So. Um, <laughs> So at the end, it was it was cool when they were you know that atmosphere in Toronto when they you know with all the Paul Pierce stuff going on in the newspapers and 
the crowd hating him, and he's hitting shot after shot, and you know, telling him to shut up. And Bradley <laughs> Beal, the halftime interview, and he's like, he said when he said to Chris Miller, to Chris Miller, and it was just, you know, that was just a great experience. It was super cool to be there. <laughs> you know, the Canada was was. It was great with all the crowd singing and all that. Fear the cool. North. And Atlanta, obviously, with John getting hurt. And also with John Wall getting hurt, that, that was an event. That was cool. I mean, you want, never want to see anyone get hurt, but it was like, you know, kind of a twist. And it adds to the narrative. It adds to the story. And, you know, obviously, I think as well, if John Wall's not hurt, they 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 win that series and they challenge the, the Cavs in the next round. Um, so, you know, obviously, it's unfortunate he got hurt. But um, it, just, it was all around. Um, looking back on it, it was pretty... So when you is, is it as simple as when I look back on it, is it as simple as Pierce playing more for? I mean, for the team to the offense to succeed. I mean, at one point they had the best offense going in the playoffs. I think the first five games, they basically transformed everything. Was it? Is it really as simple as Pierce playing the four? I mean, I know it was a matchup thing with the Raptors. It just seemed was there other things you saw, or you know, maybe Bradley Beal, obviously Bradley Beal, maybe stepping up. Well, I think, you know, when you put, not only the tears before, you know, Drew Gooden's emergence was, was sort of a big yeah, deal. You know, drizzle. The fact that he was actually a threat from three as opposed to, you know, someone who kind of stood in the three-point line and teams are really respecting. When you, when you start respecting him when he's playing the four, that kind of changes the equation a little bit. But it has an effect on the other guy. So John Wall's at his best when he has a pick-and-roll partner, Marcin Gortat, and he has three shooters on the three-point line because there's no one standing, you know, kind of defending the hoop, defending the rim. So... Um, that's when John Wall's at his best. That's when Marcin Gortat's at his best when he's diving to the basket off the pick and roll. Um, and Bradley Beal's given a little more space and then behind the three-point line. Otto Porter's, in, Otto Porter's in the corner, you know, waiting for a three as well. He's diving to the basket. When John drives to the basket off the pick and roll, he's grabbing off his rebound, putting it back up. So it, it has a different, you know, it has an effect. It's a trickle-down effect on everybody else. Um, that I think just worked for a lot of players. It worked for Bradley, it worked for Otto, it worked for... From, uh, Gortat's at his best, that's when... You know, Gortat came up with with the and that's what they did with with the white and with him. You know, just different roles with Jamil Nelson and back to the basket. And then he did that with Steve Nash. And now he's doing that with John. I think we see it a lot this season. Um, in the A doing it too. So uh, I think it's just had kind of an you know an, an impact on everybody on the roster, everybody on the floor, and more, mostly John Wall. So John Wall does a fascinating shoot all around him, and he can kind of pick his pick what. Pick what he wants to do, Hayward or whatever shooter on the, on the perimeter, or just take it to the basket without much resistance. So, um, I think that's what it did. I think obviously in the second round, Paul had a tough time um, guarding Paul Millsap. Um, Paul had a tough time guarding Paul Millsap. So, um, and, and that was kind of a a weak point there. So, you know, um, it's, it had more than it was more than just Paul Pierce playing the four. It was Drew Gooden also playing the four and becoming very good. Um, you know, more of a threat. Do you do you think that uh, the Wizards beat the Hawks? You said with John Wall healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. Uh, it's, I, the Hawks. You know, when you look back on that series, the best player, you know, the most consistent player for the Hawks in that series is Mark Harrell. And you know, Kyle Corver. What do you see? Thirty percent from the field. Yeah, Beal locked him up. Yeah, he was locked down. He shut down a bit. That's he was frustrated at different points during the season. Al, I mean, during the series, um, Al Horford played well, you know, in that game where he had the offensive rebound. He played played well at times, but um, you know, the fact that the Wizards won a game without John Wall was pretty was pretty incredible. So that was a sixty-one Hawks team, even though they weren't playing it back in that show with the, with the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. But yeah, I think you know, 
it's John Wells healthy. I think they do win that series. And I think they challenge the, the Cavs in the next round because the Cavs weren't 100% either. So, um, yeah, man, it's one of those, like one of those what, what ifs. And it was, but the players after the game just didn't want to say, hey, man, you know, like, you know, if John hurt, John's not hurt, we win the series. But, you know, three days later they were saying it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> doing their so that's how they felt. Um, and the players were the only ones. I think everyone in the organization felt that way. And it makes sense. You know, John Wall was probably – so then I mean basically essentially the last four games of that series came down on Paul Pierce three point shot. Now aside from yeah. aside from every game. So aside from, you know, the fan perspective, of course the last three didn't go in the Wizards Wizards favor. But writing your games, I want to know the, the the you know, the sausage was made. How difficult was writing a game story? Uh, when at the end, all these shots are right. going the way it is, and maybe your whole lead is is is, is flipped around. Well, yeah, in the moment it sucks. To be honest, it's like what's it? It's like there's like adrenaline rushing through you. It's like super cool, but then at the same time, like oh, it really come on. You got like that game, the game six, when that shot just he uh, released that shot just a little too late. I mean, I was. It was crazy. I had to like basically delete my first like three paragraphs. From <laughs> I basically wrote that like in ten minutes. It was, it was crazy. So like you know, I, I called bank the Alkai bank the Alkai bank right. I called game. Yeah, well, I called one, game. Well, that one too. Like, <laughs> it's just like so. Like ideally, like you know, I filed my my story my first time around. You know, within five to ten minutes after the final buzzer. Um, but in those occasions, you know, it's like 10, 15 minutes later, I'm like, sorry, guys, but, you know, this ending was kind of crazy. I had to start from scratch, basically. So um, it's not ideal, but, you know, it also makes it fun, you know, the fact that you have to kind of write, write and just kind of go with it. And first thing that comes to your head, you put it down, <laughs> you type it out, and you don't really have much of a chance for, for editing and, you know, crafting, as they say, and, you know, making it look all pretty. But, um, you know, about an hour later, you come back, hopefully, and file something else or add to it and make some changes at quotes and all that. But um, it was crazy, man. It's like, those, those, that entire series is just as crazy as I and, you know, write about it. And it was intense, and you know, but it was fun. It was, it was fun. Does it seem like, it seems like all blur. You know, I reflect because I needed personally I needed a couple of weeks to grieve as a fan, being like, did that just really happen? And it took me like two days to actually write because uh, I'm not on deadline as well. I am on deadline, but not 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 one like yours where I finally was like, hey man, I need I need a day to, to really process all that before before I can really right. describe it all. And then it even took me a couple of weeks even afterwards just to be like, all right, go back through those games and and remember what happened. It was definitely all just a whirlwind. And you look back on it and I, me and Kyle had a podcast the other day and how basically they had the same, you know, they, they beat the bulls the year before in the playoffs, lost to the Pacers four, two at home. And they essentially did this, had the same result to finish, but it felt different. And I know that you weren't around the, the previous playoffs, but did you feel the players maybe when they talked about comparing this playoff experience to, to the one prior, especially John and Bradley, that there was a little difference? Like maybe like they should have won unfinished business, whereas like, you know, maybe two years ago, hey, the Pacers are better, tip your hat. Yeah, so obviously like you said I wasn't there, but one thing I try to do, you know, before the season and especially before the playoffs, you kind of look back and read everything that I could find about that series, you know, the year before with the, or even the Bulls series, so the Bulls and the Pacers series the year before. Um, 
you know, they said the same thing, you know, after the bailout the Pacers. They thought they let that one go and, you know, so on and so forth. They should have been the Pacers and, and played Miami. But, you know, from my perspective, I, you know, that Atlanta series probably hurt a lot more because they were basically, they were John Wall injury away from, from being them, and they still could have been them. And they were a year, you know, more mature, wiser, whatever you want to call it. They had a year more experience. They had been there before. And I felt like, you know, I would assume that first time around, it's like, all right, it's kind of a building block. The foundation, you know, we played in the tough, on the pages tough and whatever, and next year we'll we'll get to the conference finals, the finals, and, and we'll make moves from there. But I feel like, you know, you know, being out in the second round again was probably really frustrating when they had to the same thing the previous season. It wasn't like, you know, the, the new car, you know, the novelty kind of wore off. They, they didn't just want to be there anymore. They wanted to, to advance. So I feel, I mean... They said it was the same. They said the same thing against the Pacers, but I feel like you know this time around a little different. He's probably a little more frustrated. You know, just John Wall getting hurt. You know, sometimes things you can't control. Yeah, it, well, I mean, they blew in the Pacers. It was two-two, and they blew a big fourth-quarter lead. And Paul, poor George, went nuts. So that's kind of that's kind of where I think it was. Oh, David West, and then yeah. David West, and then David West finished him off in Game Six. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, my bad. Game Four, Game Four is where Paul George went nuts. Game Five, they actually blew them out. And then Game Six, they came back home, and uh, that was a weird series. There was a lot of road victories in that series. It was bizarre. Well, yeah, they couldn't win at home. Yeah, they were they winning at home series. That was different. So, so going back, I know you mentioned it earlier about the the wings and and maybe having some more weapons for for Randy for this season. What did you? How do you assess what the, what the team did in the off season? and uh, you know the draft and free agency and uh, you know the players they acquired and the ones that left. So obviously, when when Paul Pierce, you know, when you lose Paul Pierce, you know, a future Hall of Famer, you know, if you listen to anyone, he's a great leader, and that's kind of hard to like quantify. Um, obviously, you know, but everyone says he's a great leader in the locker room. He kind of kept things, you know, in order on the practice floor, you know, in the locker room on on the on the court on during games and stuff. So losing him is, is, is I don't know how big a deal it is, but it's, it's a big deal. It's a deal, you know, it's it's, it's significant. But, um, you know, personally, I feel like when you add a guy like Jared Dudley, you can play a stretch four, and it's probably a better defender than Paul Pierce in the stage of his career. Um, you know, a guy like Alan Anderson who can, you know, another wing who can defend. No one's going to stop LeBron James and those great wings in the NBA. You can't really stop those guys, but I know the body to put on those guys. Um, you know, Gary Neal, all the time last season, a lot of people were complaining. They don't have a score off the bench. They don't have a score off the bench. They had trouble manufacturing points off, you know, Second union, the team struggles scoring. Now, a lot of Gary Neal steps in, and that's because one thing Gary Neal can do is it's score in bunches. So, it kind of assessed that with him. So, obviously, Kelly Oubre, I was kind of surprised by, you know, by, you know, drafting him. But I think their, their thinking is that this is a guy with the 15th overall pick who would become a star. So, you know, this is a guy who a year ago, if he could have gone out, you know, the NBA out of high school, he might have been a lottery, he would have been a lottery pick, maybe top 10, top 5. So it's swung for the fences with that pick. They see a guy who can, if everything goes well, can be a very, very good all-star caliber player in the NBA. So that's that was their thinking with that, as opposed to you know getting the role player, you know, who, which is what we expected with the 19th pick in the draft. So um, that was their thinking with Kelly Oubre. Um, now losing Seraphin, you know, I thought it was, at times you see you know, Seraphin would, would show flashes, um, and then other times you just do some stuff and you kind of scratch your head. I guess that's the way it is, and that, that's the way... You're more, you're, more dip, you're more diplomatic than I am, Jorge, on, on KS Live. Yeah. <laughs> so, there'd be times... That, uh, so here's how, 
Kevin Sarkin last season, if he right when he right when he got into the game, first like minute he was on the floor, you could tell right away if he was gonna if this was his night or wasn't his night. He either like make a mistake or he, you know, do a nice turnaround hook and before he knew he had ten points in the second quarter. You know, something like that. You, you can tell right away. And that game six against the Hawks and before Todd got hurt in the elimination game, I think he had thirteen points. He played really well that game. So like, you see like flashes, you just you couldn't do it consistently, obviously, over five years here. But, um, you know, losing him, like, I'm sure it's frustrating that him develop into, you know, a consistent player. But um, at this point, at least, I obviously just decided it wasn't, it wasn't worth it. Um, besides that, then anybody else that was, you know, important at this point. So, basically, it's kind of like a replacing Paul Pierce with Alan Anderson and Jared Dudley, which I think, you know, we think about two-way players. I think Alan Anderson and Jared Dudley at this stage, you know, at this stage of their careers are better defenders. Um, and, you know, offensively, you have to kind of hope and kind of expect Bradley to be able to kind of take the next step, Otto Porter to take the next step, John Walter at his game, whether it's shooting, you know, and whether it's adding some post-up moves and kind of being, you know, posting up players more. So you have to expect other players to kind of take the next step um, offensively, and then I think eventually they'll be they're better with um, Dudley and uh, whenever he comes back and Alan Anderson. So, um, and obviously when you think of the small ball lineups, and all that, they'll be better offensively too. So I don't think the Paul Pierce, losing Paul Pierce matters in terms of, you know, leadership is a leadership boy. That whole they think, you know, John Wall at this point in his career, is, this is his sixth season, which is kind of crazy. At some point, John Wall becomes a veteran. And it might be now, it's his sixth season in the NBA. So um, they're guys that will, hopefully, you know, John's kind of fill in the leadership role. Um, so I don't really view a lot of people like, I read a lot of people writing a quiet, off-season, you know, with, um, you know, no significant moves. Um, I, I've been writing about this and saying it for a while now since I've basically been on the beat. It's all about next summer. They, they were going to sacrifice cap flexibility for, for next summer. Um, these are basically rentals. One-year guys, Jared Dudley, Gary Neal, and Alan Anderson, all have one year left in a deal. It's time, one-year contracts. Um, so they'll be free agents next summer. And they're just trying to maximize Salary cap flexibility, and they did it, and they happened to also get a couple quality veterans. So I think it's gonna, it's exactly what they wanted to do, um, and we'll see if it pays off midsummer. <laughs> well, wow, Ray, it's like you read my my next question because it is about uh, that exact point you just made hell of a segue but man you know i think that when you do evaluate it is that keeping the ink dry for next summer because so if they go out they make a run and get somebody and then now they don't have the money to sign kevin durant correct then we'd all be complaining we'd be all we'd be all bitching and complaining that they didn't have the money what are you doing what what's going on whereas and now the other people think like or is the opposite well oh you're just putting all your eggs in the basket what happens when kevin durant doesn't come well, I think you have to – well, he's going to come. He's going to decide and make his decision for himself whether he wants to do, but you will want to make sure that this team has the ability to go after him. It would be pretty foolish of them not to. How much do you think those moves – I think you just mentioned it. Those moves are all about next year, and I think that they're one-year signings, and then they also can all hit, hit the three. So that's good, you know, that they're all good three-point shooters, especially with a dynamic point guard like John that can create three-point shots like we've seen with Ariza, Martel Webster, what we've seen with Otto Porter in the playoffs as well, and Drew Gooden to a lesser extent. What, how much do you, but here's my question. Do you think that there is, what is your sense of what you've heard from people? Is there a plan B? Is it all in for Kevin Durant? Is there a plan B if they don't get him, maybe an Al Horford? Or is it just a wait-and-see approach? I mean, what have you kind of, what's your sense? Well, I'm sure there is a plan B, and the plan B is to get probably the next best free agent. But um, it's and the NBA is all about you, you stars in this league, man. You you need 
Kevin Durant is a, you know, once in a generation type of talent. You know, he's beyond the whole local thing and all that. He's a great, great NBA player. He's a great scorer. If he comes here, this team becomes an NBA title contender. contender. And I think otherwise, if, if you add a, so let's say they went out and got a Lamarcus Aldridge in the summer um, and decided, you know what, even though they couldn't do it, you know, just making a hypothetical world. Um, instead of, you know, waiting for Kevin Durant, they spent the cap room that they didn't have this summer on the market soldiers. Okay, are they an NBA title contender? Can they get past the Cavs, the Bulls, whatever else? I mean, that's debatable. Um, it's so, it's, they're waiting on Durant. I mean, and it makes sense. It makes all the sense of the world. He's from here. Everyone here loves him. He'll fit in to that stretch four mold um, that they, they can use. Um, and if it doesn't work out, uh, it doesn't work out. You go to your plan B, you go get a Hal Horford or whoever they, they, they have their eye on. You trade for someone, I don't know. But um, it's, it's, it's worth it. They decided, it's, it's not like they decided this summer, hey, when, when it's Durant. The fact that they gave um, Paul Pierce a one year um, with a player option for a second year instead of giving, you know, instead of, you know, instead of giving a three year deal or whatever, with, with this next summer in mind. Um, the fact that DeJuan Blair is a free agent next summer um, and a bunch of other players are free agents. So this team is going to look very different next year, and that's on purpose. Um, they, you know, they, they, they're all in on it, and that's, it makes all sense in the world to me. So when, if you look at every single you know, team that wins a championship, they have stars. Um, you know, that's the Dallas Mavericks with, with Dirk Nowitzki, was he's probably the only star star on that team. But look at every other team, they have a couple stars, you know, just great players, and that, that's what you need in the NBA. And Kevin Durant is, you know, top two, top three player in the NBA. And it just makes all sense in the world. And unless you said, if if they didn't wait for him, people would complain that, hey, um, why did you spend all that money? We just made the Eastern Conference Finals, and and you got if you got Kevin Durant, we can go NBA Finals every year, you know. Um, so it's it's kind of like you know people complain both ways, but um, I think it's the right way to go. You you go for the franchise changing player, the, the player that will make you an NBA title contender every year. I know you wrote a really good piece recently about the status of Bradley Beal's extension. Where where are they at currently? Kind of refresh the listeners, and what are your thoughts of from both both sides, and where do you think it's gonna? What do you think is gonna happen? It's not really progressing, and it makes all sense in the world because I don't think they're gonna do an extension because uh, it makes sense for both sides not to. Um, the fact that John signed that five-year deal, the five-year extension a couple years ago, means that Bradley can't get a five-year extension from the first uh, CBA rules that you'll be designated one player to get that five-year extension. So Bradley can only get a four-year extension um, for the max, and the Wizards don't want to give him the max now because the cap hold increases for next summer, which kind of goes into the money they want to get. They're saving up for you know the room there. They're saving for space. They're saving for Kevin Durant. So it makes sense for both sides because next summer um, the, the Wizards will have the right. They'll be the only team that can give Bradley Beal a five-year um, five-year deal um, when he becomes a restricted free agent. So it makes sense for both of them. And his cap will be fourteen million dollars, and so that gives them the maximum, you know, salary cap space for them to go after Durant and whoever else the free agency. So it makes sense for both sides to not to not to not, not do anything. Um, I know Harrison Barnes just declined a deal. And the fact that Harrison Barnes is declining a deal that's you know worth sixteen million a year kind of just shows that Bradley Beal is probably under the max. He's ninety nine percent sure at this point. Um, he's proven to be a more effective player than 
with Harrison Barnes, even if Harrison Barnes probably doesn't have the opportunity to shine as much as Bradley Beal does when he's playing on a loaded team at the Golden State Warriors. But um, we saw Damian Lillard get the, the max. Uh, I think he'll go to the that has been four years, $52 million. Anthony Davis is on the biggest contract in NBA history. So, um, great chance <laughs> that Bradley Beal didn't get the, the max. I just don't see him getting it for Halloween. I think he's going to get it next year, a five-year a five-year max. So, uh, it just makes sense for both sides. And it's still very logical as to why. And um, I wouldn't go too crazy if I'm a Wizards fan and Bradley Beal isn't signed an extension by the Halloween. Do you, do you think the Wizards will offer him some type of deal? I'm sure they'll. I mean, I, I, so deadline for action. So I think by the you know middle October, late October, I'm sure they'll give him a deal. Now, if it's all for the deal that's not the max, it's under the max. That if Bradley signs for it, signs it, they won't hurt him too much for next summer. But then again, Bradley Beal thinks he's the max player. So if Bradley Beal thinks he's the max player, and he thinks he should wait. Even if we saw this summer with West well, with West Matthews, the guy blew his Achilles, he's pushing 30, and he got a max. Even if Bradley Beal has another fibula injury, um, the chances of him getting a max regardless is a 23-year-old, six, you know, six or four shooting guard if he shoots, lights out, has been great in the playoffs the last two years. The chances of him getting a max regardless, even if he has some big injury, you know, the chances are pretty good. I mean, we saw West Matthews the best I get one. So, and the, the money, if you have this this past summer was crazy with the NBA free agency, next summer is going to be 10 times crazy. It's going to be now no the, one one Kevin Durant question how you know being I've always this hoopla has been going on for two years my opinion has always been like you know, yeah, I'm not going to rip on fans for, for not being excited for the possibility, but I'm also not going to be, like, all in when this team is pretty good right now. And three years ago, they had 19 – four wins ago, they had 19 wins. So I've always kind of played it in between because the – you know, and plus it was two years out. But now, basically, it's one more year. How much do you think that that hangs around the team? Is that just some media narrative that is pushed by people? Do you th- have you felt anything by the players or the personnel or anything around by the people in that how much they are are they thinking about it as much as the fans are and maybe the DC community? Yeah. I mean, uh, the players don't think about that. So. Yeah, I don't think so. But they just answer the questions that they're asked, right? Well, the fact that it's not a- Right, right. I mean, you get to be asking them all the time, and yeah, they'll, they'll have to be forcing about it. But on, I think on a daily basis, when they report for shoot around on, on a Tuesday morning in, in Denver, I don't think they're really thinking about, you know, it's coming to rank coming next year. Or it's, that's not really, that's not on the radar. I don't think it's on the coach's radar either. But it is part of a long term plan. It's going after Kevin Durant is part of the franchise's, you know, kind of plan going forward. So even if it's not on the, on the front office, you know, mind all the time, every day. Still on the agenda. Um, it's how they kind of create this roster to make sure they can go after him and other free agents next summer. So um, it's it's going to be hanging. Obviously, when, when the Thunder come to DDC, it's going to be another. It's going to be a story. It's going to be probably the loudest that uh, Brian Center will be this season. <laughs> it's going to be probably the most packed. It's going to be this season. Um, it's early too. It's, it's, 
that, that, that's kind of weird for me too as an outsider. It's kind of how DC is kind of a weird sports sports town because it's such a transient city, and you know, you see kind of like a lot of Laker fans for Laker games and Celtics fans for stuff. <laughs> Yeah, even Knicks, even those loud ass Knicks fans. <laughs> right, so that was a shock. That, that was another shock for me last year, last season. Seeing, uh, I guess it makes sense because it's a change in the Bulls, too. Bulls have a lot of loud fans. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people from different places here. But I mean, yeah, is it hanging over? Yeah, it's going to be hanging over because people like me and other people will be thinking about it. And the fact that I will go into the season thinking in the back of my mind that, you know, this season is great, you know, they're going to try to win as many games as possible when they're NBA titles, but, you know, next summer it's about Kevin Durant, so, and free agency as a whole, so, um, I don't think they'll be thinking about it on a day-to-day basis. It, it'll be whenever Kevin Durant comes down, I think it's in November, I'm, I'm forgetting, but, um, it's early, yeah, it's, I'm sure. it's really early. I'm sure when, there'll be some times when they're sort of city or whatever city that you're renting for going up to them and asking them about Kevin Durant. I'm sure it's going to happen. I'm sure they're going to talk about it. But I don't think it's going to be on their mind every day. Yeah. I know it's not on their mind every day. There are other things to think about. Now, now how, how do you see this uh, outlook of this team? What are the goals? Is it, you know, we've mentioned obviously going past the second round of the playoffs has to, you know, has to be a goal. I, don't, I think last year John's goal was Eastern Conference Finals. What do you see? How, you know, 50 wins, top four in the East. I mean, all these seem attainable. What is your sense? Well, I'm sure, you know, Eastern Conference Finals. We'll hear it on Monday. I'm pretty sure they're going to say Eastern Conference Finals is the goal. One quarter advantage. That's what the goals were last year. And they obviously can finish fifth and finish in the second round. So I'm sure, you know, it's about to be the next step. But um, maybe they'll take finals. I don't know. But obviously you want to progress. So I'm sure they want they want to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, get a top four seed. Now, exactly what happens? The Eastern Conference changed a little bit. I think Miami's going to be a factor now. I don't think Atlanta's going to be as good. Um, Chicago with with Hoiberg uh, as the coach, Jimmy kind of interesting to see. The Cavs seem like they're going to be. I mean, Kyrie's out for a while, so that's going to be a little little different there for for, for a bit for the first few months. But um, I think a top four seed is definitely attainable. I think if everything goes well, like I see him finishing, you know, maybe third in the East. I don't know. Obviously. They, too hard to predict. People get hurt. Things happen. But um, you know, taking the next step, Eastern Conference Finals is definitely available for this team. If John Wall continues his progression, if Bradley Beal finally has that consistent season that everyone kind of expected last year, um, a lot of things need to happen. But you know, a lot of things need to happen for a lot of teams to get to that point. So um, you know, obviously everyone's looking forward to the Kevin Durant thing, but they have the season ahead here, and it was a pretty good team that can. You know, as a couple, you know, very good, you know, probably one of the best passports in the NBA. So, um, you know, 50 wins is attainable, top four seed, home court advantage, all that stuff. It's definitely attainable, Eastern Conference Finals. But we'll see, man. That's what makes it. I feel like the NBA last year was a lot more unpredictable than than it was in years in years past. And I think it's, we're going to see a lot more of that next season, which makes it a lot more fun. Well, it seems like in the East, especially the teams you mentioned, you know, the Cavs obviously are number one, but. There's maybe four or five teams that could be the number two seed, anywhere from, you know, the Heat, like you mentioned. Maybe I mean Milwaukee's probably going to be better. I think Toronto has slipped. Indiana, I don't know what they're really doing, but I think it really will be the Bulls, the Bulls, the Wizards, and the Heat, and who else? I mean, I guess the Hawks. I mean, there's other, yeah, the Hawks. I mean, the Raptors didn't really be in there. I was counting to be that high, but. You know, they'll be in a playoff picture. The Celtics will be in a playoff picture. The Bucks will be better, like you said. I think it'll be interesting to see Paul George at the four for a whole season. 
you know, people forget two years ago and almost won the MVP. Um, so it's the East is a lot better than it was. I remember a couple years ago how awful the East was. Um, and it's a lot better now. It's still not the West, obviously. The West is still a bloodbath. It's ugly out there. But um, the East is tough. And I, I feel like this team's going to be better than I, – I, I feel, personally, this is a better team than last year. Just the fact that I think John and Bradley will be better. Um, you know, another season under their belts, more experience. Um, and the addition of Alan Harris and Jared Dudley replacing Paul Pierce and you know, providing more depth, carry, carrying off the bench with that scoring that they needed. I think it's it's a, it's a deeper team. And Wall versus yeah, I yeah, I think that Wall and Beal taking a next jump and Beal being healthy and Wall is maybe going to maybe mask while they wait for Dudley and, you know, what they're going to do with Nene and the Gortop matchup uh, combo together. That seemed to not really be working so much for them at the end of that season. And now with the addition of all the wings that, that you know, it's really going to come down to Wall and Beal and, and Otto, Otto being consistent for another year. You know, maybe the auto, the playoff auto that we saw, people, you know, obviously the people on Twitter, people listening don't, Oh, d- did not forget, but you know he basically didn't really contribute much for most of the season, and he came on a lot in the playoffs. showed showed his talent, and that maybe those three for a whole season can maybe elevate them to to two or three. So, but my question, Jorge, before we end, uh, I already took way too much of your time, and man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Is there any is there any any funny stories behind the scenes uh, that you saw over the over the course of? You know they they don't they don't have to it can be PG rated anything anything that stands out when you reflect that it was kind of a funny scenario of covering this team over the year. Well, can you repeat that? Sorry. A fun, funny any funny stories of covering this team from behind the scenes over the year that you covered them uh, that, that stand out. Let me think. Let me think. Nothing really jumping out right now, but. Uh... Or just some quirky personalities that people don't really see. Ah, yeah, that's a good. I mean, obviously, Martian a character. Everyone kind of sees that. Um, <laughs> uh, it's that that one's kind of obvious. I mean, Drew Gooden's a funny dude. He always has something to say. I mean, this this team it's a good locker room. They're all, they're all funny guys. They're all just like. It's a good locker room and stuff, but I, I, nothing's really jumping out right now. My bad. I feel like I should be coming up on the page with you guys, but I don't have any. I, I really don't have any jumping out right now. Stop. stop, stop. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's cool, man. No, no worries. And of course, you'll think about something tomorrow. And of course, I'll think about a million other questions I would have asked you. But hey, man, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Uh, for for dropping your wisdom on on the fans, I know that they'll be excited to read you all all season. And Monday starts on Monday. Uh, the media day for those wondering starts starts on Monday. And uh, training camps so training camps on Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday in Baltimore. In Baltimore, Towson. <laughs> Not in Baltimore, uh, Towson. Towson. And then when's the first preseason game? So it's like so a week at camp before the game. What's up? I think it's like a week, seven, eight days of camp before the first game. Yeah, yeah. So it's October sixth and the ninth here against the Knicks. So October sixth will be a Schmidt uh, exacting revenge on his former team. <laughs> All right, that is uh, Jorge Castillo. He's at the Washington Post, beat writer, cool dude, and uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will. We will have some coverage this uh, this weekend. Have some more episodes. Me and Kyle are gonna try to do some one uh, this this uh, 
this weekend as well. Uh, peace out.